Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Pick your strategy and go with it. I guarantee that there's someone out there that has made a successful living in real estate doing it the way that they were trying to do it. Emulate that person. Find out what it is that makes that strategy work. Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, got two questions for you. And this is for my fix and flippers out there. One, are your financing costs eating away your bottom line? And two, are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by reducing your loan payments to the bank or private lender? Of course you are, right? You're always looking to maximize the potential of your deal. So here's a solution. We got a solution for you through the crowdfunding platform, Patch of Land. If you're a loyal Best Ever listener, you know Patch of Land. They've been on the show many times. They've sponsored the show many times. They're back for more because they love you. They want to help you out. They want to add value to your life. And here's how they're going to do it. They have a solution to your financing issue of financing costs eating away from the bottom line. And they want to help you reduce your loan payments to the bank. So here we go. Patch of Land offers a fix and flip loan program that only charges interest on the funds that have been dispersed as opposed to tradition, the traditional model of lenders charging interest on the whole loan amount at the beginning. You save a lot of money this way, and it can be misleading when you get your terms quoted to you by the lender at a particular rate if they charge all of the interest up front versus upon distributions. Patch of Land's got a document that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper to educate yourself on questions you should ask the lender. Regardless if you go with Patch of Land, you've got to get this document to educate yourself on the questions to ask your lender to make sure you're getting the best financing terms. The document's at patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. That's patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Patch of Land, they can close in as little as seven days and they can help you through this program save thousands of dollars on your deals, make more money, and uh, have a better business and grow your fix and flip business. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. David Sweeney. How you doing, David? Hey, I'm doing well, Joe. How are you? I am doing well and nice to have you on the show. Let's see. David just closed on his first transaction, a 24-unit cash-flowing apartment building. He is also a police officer. He's a lieutenant with the Seattle Police Department. Thank you, sir, for what you do. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. 
30 years of service with Seattle police and he got his real estate license this year. And as I mentioned just a second ago, he bought a 24 unit apartment building. So we're going to talk about that. He's currently looking for his next deal. So with that being said, David, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Well, sure. Thanks for having me on first off. And I turned 53 last December. And in the state of Washington, that's the minimum retirement age for a police officer. And it was kind of interesting. I can almost see the day in my mind when I realized, hey, I can retire now, mm-hmm. except I couldn't retire now. There was no way. I have a lovely wife of 19 years and three lovely children, ages 11, 13, and 15. And there was no way I could leave the job at that point. I wasn't prepared financially to do so. And my motivation became, I want to provide a better life for my family. I wanted my wife to be able, if she wanted to work, that's great. But if she didn't want to work and she wanted to work on some of her charities or causes, I wanted her to be able to do that. I wanted my three kids to grow up and be able to go to any college they want and not have to worry about the cost of it. I wanted to travel the world with my wife. I wanted to live in a nicer house. Basically, I guess you might say I was kind of, I wasn't poor by any means, but I was closest to poor dad in Kiyosaki's book. I had a government job. I'd worked out for 30 years. I counted on overtime and raises for extra money. I basically invested all my money in my home. And I had some savings, of course, but when I view my home as my primary asset, I think I really fell into that poor dad mentality. So what I want to do is change my life and I want to change it for the better. And I decided, I evaluated several different things to do, but I, I decided real estate was the way to go. So when I get involved in something, when I get dedicated to a cause, when I get energized, I devote massive amounts of tension into learning everything I can about that. So I became a voracious reader of books, blogs. I listen to your podcast on a daily basis, as well as other podcasts. And this seemed to be right up my alley. I wanted to do real estate. And as I listened to more and more people, first I was thinking, okay, duplex, triplex, fourplex, that type of thing. But then I decided that what I really wanted to do was own apartment buildings. And the more people I heard, the more said, you need to go into apartment buildings. Unfortunately, it's kind of hard to find brokers out there that really know how to buy and sell apartment buildings. So I said, okay, I'll solve that problem as well. And I decided I will be my own real estate agent. So I studied for the real estate exam for the state of Washington, got my license earlier this year. And I spent, oh, probably four or five months analyzing properties. I'll bet I analyzed over 400 properties in order to find the one that met what I was looking for. Again, it was my first investment. So what I had to do was take a refi out of my house. I pulled out 380,000 and I just had that money sitting there in the bank, just ready until the time was right until I found the property that I was gonna buy. So fast forward to now, I'm sure you'll have a few questions about that process, but that's where I found myself in August and I found my apartment building. You took massive action in a very short period of time. That all happened in a year. In less than a year, you identified that there was a problem with the financial situation from a long-term standpoint. You then identified real estate was the path to go. Then you studied up on how to evaluate and buy apartment buildings you then got your real estate license and you closed on one and you completed a refi on your primary residence. 
Yes, I did that in about nine months, I think it took, from start to finish. Is there a thought that comes across your mind or perhaps from your significant other or those around you who say, ah, you went too fast, you rushed into it? No. In fact, I get surprised from people when I tell them what I did, but I also get, man, I wish I had done something like that, or I wish I could do something like that. So then of course, hey, that's a great lead in because then I can offer to help them look for their own investment properties. Mm -hmm. So I've started doing that. So it's a nice conversation starter. I think people are genuinely surprised because again, I'm a government employee, a 30 year public servant. And that's probably not what most police officers do. I remember being envious of an officer I was training one time and he came riding along with me and we were talking about what we're doing this weekend. He said, oh, I have to go down to my rental property and do some work on it. And I went, wait, why does this fairly new officer have a rental property? Why don't I have a rental property? Mm -hmm. And that conversation stuck with me for many years. I didn't do anything about it. I wasn't motivated at that point, but that conversation stuck with me that he has a rental property. Wow, that's great. How many, so hour, it's how nice many hours to tell do you work? Now I have my own rental property, not just a property. I have an apartment building. I'm an apartment building owner. It's kind of exciting. You are. It's incredibly impressive what you've done. How many hours do you work as a police officer? 40 hours a week. 40 hours a week. What's your shift? Generally, I'm a lieutenant, so I work daytime hours. Okay. My primary job right now is reviewing use of force okay. uh, within one of our five police precincts in Seattle. And I'm at the East Precinct and I review use of force. So that's what I do on primarily an eight to four job. Monday eight to four. four. Okay. Got it. All right. So you've got some reasonable hours, unlike yeah. one of my friends who is not a 30 year vet and he <laughs> works the hours where I'm snoozing away at night. Oh, exactly. I've yeah. done that before many times. Right. And I, I figured, okay. So you have a full-time job and you studied up. How did you get to the point of education where you felt comfortable taking the $380,000 from the cash out refinance on your primary and plunking it down on an apartment? Well, first off comes from just personal learning, books, podcasts, videos, webcasts, articles, blogs, everything like that. So that form of self-education. But then when you add to that, you have to take I spent 90 hours of classroom training online in order to get my real estate license. But then I wanted to pass the test the first time. I said, I'm not going back to take this test a second mm -hmm. time. I'll bet I invested 120 to 150 hours just studying for the test. So I've met the minimum state requirements, but I wanted to study and pass this thing first time. So I'm constantly getting more real estate information into my brain. And so about April, that's when I passed the test. So that's when I started evaluating properties. Like I said, I probably did 400 of them and I'll bet 325 of them were residential, meaning duplex, triplex, fourplex. Oh, okay. It wasn't until I then moved into the mindset. I thought if I'm going to reach my financial goals here, if I'm going to replace my income and then some, I don't want to just replace my income. I want to increase my standard of living and that of my family. So in order to do that, I thought, if I'm going to go duplexes and triplexes, how many of these do I have to buy? Oh my gosh, this is a huge number. Wait a sec. I can skip all this and just do one apartment building and then add a second one next year and then a third one the year after that. That's my goal right now. Add a large apartment building each year. And I want to do like you do and just gradually 
In fact, not even gradually. I want to make a big <laughs> jump next time. I want to get nothing over- gradual about what you just did. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to go bigger. That's my goal for next year. Okay. So 180, what- units, 150 units, something like that, where I actually have to invest in staff to run it. That's the size property I want. You have a property management company that is handling your 24 unit, right? I do. Yes. Okay. I interviewed about three different companies and decided the best fit for me. And the one that was most responsive to me and met my needs. So far, I'm really happy. I've heard enough horror stories from people that chose poor on their property managers, but it's nice that the place I located is about 90 miles south of me. So I can easily travel there, check in on my property, check in with my property manager. He's receptive to me. We text, email, call each other. So I've got a very receptive property manager. He knows about the rents in the area. So that was a big plus for me. And he also knows the best contractors to use because I don't live in Centralia. That's the community I bought the apartment building in. I don't live there. I like the community a lot. I wouldn't mind living there, but he knows who to hire. And he calls me anytime there's an expense over $200 and I authorize it. And so far, the bills that have come in look very reasonable to me as far as the prices being paid for different contracting work and things like that. So I think I've chosen wisely with my property manager. I know that doesn't always happen, but so far, so good. $380,000 home equity line of credit, right? A HELOC. You and your wife, I imagine, had a conversation about that. Yes? (laughs) How does that conversation go? You know, she was so supportive. It's really great. She knows me. She knows when I get a certain goal in mind. I'm like a bulldog and I go after it 100%. I went back to school and got my college degree very late in life. But when I did it, I devoted myself to it and got it done. I went into Toastmasters and I said, I want to be a distinguished Toastmaster, the highest award they give. I went in, set my goal and did it. Same thing in real estate. I said, I want to own apartment buildings. I went in, I work hard. I work fast and I take massive action and I did it. So she knows when I get a goal in mind that that provides some of my reason for being. If I don't have a goal in mind, I got to admit to you, Joe, I'm lazy. I sit around and I don't do a whole lot. You know, I go to work. I work hard. I enjoy my job and things like that. Just kind of float though. Float. Yeah, I do. I absolutely do. And she knows this about me. We've been married almost 19 years. So when she saw this goal, She got excited about it because she knew that I would devote my time and energy to it. We all get the same 24 hours a day, and it's what do you do with that time that you're given? And she knew if I had a goal and set that in mind, that that would provide impetus for me to really move forward on this project. And she likes it too because it's good for the family. It does mean some extra hours for me. But the way I look at it, Would I be better off watching TV at night or would I be better checking out rental properties and evaluating them, looking at the financial numbers, learning more about real estate? So she's excited about the project. I mean, that money sat in the bank for about four months and it just sat there collecting its, it's so funny having 380,000 in the bank. Nothing happens. The interest is so minimal. Mm -hmm. But then when you take it and you invest it in a property, And now you see the returns coming in. We can get into numbers whenever you like. But now you see the returns come in. You go, wow, this is exciting. This is exactly what I wanted. And now I just need to multiply this in my coming years. And I think I'll be where I want to be as far as 
my life goals. Let's talk about specifics of the property. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a 24-unit apartment building in Centralia, Washington. And Centralia is located about halfway between Seattle and Portland. So it's easily within driving distance. It's a long drive, but it's within driving distance for me. And that's great because what do I do on the way down and back? I listen to podcasts. I listen to you, Joe. So God help you. (laughs) So it's close enough where I can check in on it and see what's going on. So the property was listed on the MLS for $1.325 million. And it's great having your real estate license. At least it is for me. I feel like I'm looking behind the curtain and seeing what's going on back there. So I could do my own negotiation. And that's kind of nice because one of my professional credentials, I'm a conflict resolution mediator at work. So I help people with their conflict resolution skills. And I definitely use that in my negotiation skills when I find a property I want to buy. So it was listed at 1.325. We offered 1.1. And I asked them to pay 1% of the closing costs. They came up a little bit. They wanted 1.14 million. And I got the 1% closing costs. I also get my real estate commission. So when the deal closed, I walked out with 40000 in cash that I could then roll back into the property to do renovations or any property work that I wanted to do. So that's kind of exciting. So the market rents were not what they needed to be. And my property manager confirmed this. I confirmed it for myself. I use websites and I also go out and look in the community I'm at, like, okay, how much are apartments going for here? So it has 16 one bedrooms and eight studios. Originally, they listed the gross income at 133000 a year. But I found by getting the market up to rent or where it should be, we've increased the gross up to 167000 So right now, the NOI is about 100000 And then my mortgage responsibility is 50000 of that. So right now, it should be walking out with 50000 in cash a year. So that's exactly what I wanted to do, find a property that would cash flow right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Run those numbers of the gross rent. What was that again? 167000 a year gross rent. Before David or after David? That was after David. Okay. What was before David? Before David was 133000 Okay. And to get one thirty-three k to one sixty-seven k gross rent, and that's gross potential rent, you just organically turn the units, but you didn't on the lease renewals, but you didn't do anything, any major improvements to them? Right. Nothing major. The market won't really support that. It's an older building, which I fully realize it's a 1920 classic brick building, the two-story brick building that you see for apartment buildings. So it looks great. The units inside are not the fanciest thing you'll ever see, but I keep them nicely painted get new carpet in there. Right now, when a unit becomes vacant, then I move in and try to start saving energy. So low flow shower heads, low flow toilets, sinks, and things like that. The tenants pay the electricity, but right now I pay water, sewer, garbage. So if I can lower the expenses even more, then I'll increase the value of the property. I love that about owning rental properties. I love that about owning an apartment building, that I'm in charge of this building and I can increase the value of it by getting more net operating income. It's great. What type of loan do you have on it? That was kind of a challenge. I did receive several no's from commercial banks when I started asking around. Why? Because I was a first-time investor. Even though I had my real estate license, and I explained that to them, 
I also explained that in college, and again, that was 30 years ago, but I had been an apartment building manager. So I said, I have some experience here. It's been a while. (laughs) I was honest with them. (laughs) Oh, well, when you were in college, the first or second time? First time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a while probably. Exactly. So I got several no's, but I kept working at it. I knew to go with a regional or local bank. And I finally found a bank that said, yes, we're interested. So you can send us properties if they're a good deal. And that's nice kind of have a second set of eyes looking at the deal. So when I found the Rock Street Apartments, that's my apartment building, I sent it off to the banker and she said, yes, this looks good. We'll write you a letter that we intend to finance. Of course, it has to go through underwriting and things like that. So I got a 4.25 rate. It's a 30-year amortization, but there's a 10-year balloon due. Yep. So that's kind of nice. It gives me that 10 years to work with it. Now, if I pay it off this year, it's a 5% penalty. Next year, it's 4%, et cetera, et cetera, down to 1% if I pay it off in year five. So the ideal on this would be to buy it, hold it for at least five years. And then in that five to 10-year range, that's when I can start evaluating whether I just like the property and how it cash flows. Or do I have something big in mind where I can do a 1031 exchange and sell this property and then move into something larger? So I have several ideas in mind as far as that time, but nothing that I need to do right now. In fact, I'm pretty sure so I can avoid that penalty, I'll at least own this property for five years. Yeah, I I would think so. That's a pretty good loan from the surface. Is there any interest only for the first couple years or is it? No, no, not, it's not interest okay. only for the first couple of years. It's right. 4.25 and I had to put 30% down. So what's your impression that most people are putting down when they get commercial loans? Is that, uh, we, that seems we, a little we put, Yeah, we put down about 25%. But yeah, yeah, I would I, like to see 25, I, but hey, yeah. for my first loan to get a bank to say yes to me, I was fine with 30% because sure. that set my guidelines and set my price parameters on the properties that I would then be looking for in order to find the one that I did. Mm-hmm. What hasn't gone right with this deal? One of my big challenges was insurance. It's an older building and it has modern electrical panels, but yet there's still some knob and tube in it. So it was a challenge to get insurance. So I thought I came up with a good idea. I asked the seller, I said, Hey, do you mind if I give your insurance agent a call? And he said, sure. Gave me the name and number. And I called her up and we had a nice conversation. And this was in September. And the property was set to close mid-October. So I'm talking to her and she says, yes, we know the property. We can probably get you a policy, et cetera, et cetera. And I took that for granted. And I shouldn't have taken it for granted. I should have been more thorough and followed up with her. Because as we get closer to closing date, I think it was set to close October 16th. And as we get closer, about a week out, my bank said, okay, we need your insurance binder. And I went, great. So I call her up and I say, hey, I need that insurance binder. Well, I leave message, I leave a message, I leave a message, I send an email, I send an email, and I'm getting nothing. And I thought, oh no, this is horrible. So now I'm left scrambling. So I start calling a variety of different commercial insurers to tell them about my apartment building. And again, the same thing with the financing. I got several no's. Well, we don't do older buildings, et cetera, et cetera. Or I got really high price quotes. And I thought, man, this is not good at all. So finally, while I'm doing this and I'm getting several bids, I went back to the original office and I said, well, if she won't return my call, maybe someone else in the office will. 
And that worked out. I did find another agent that said, Hey, yeah, she's gone this week. Or I don't know what the excuse was. I'm not <laughs> sure. I was so frustrated. At yeah. that. So now to get an insurance binder in now I've got like four or five days till closing. So anyway, I had to go back to the seller and ask for extension, which I hated to do because it's like you're walking this deal to close every step along the way. And now all of a sudden I have to go out there and say, Hey, sorry, I'm not ready to close. Can we extend this by a couple days? Could have walked at that point. So that was a bit of a risk on my part. So it's mm -hmm. definitely a lesson learned for your best ever listeners is just make sure you do your due diligence. I did my due diligence financially on this property, but I'll be honest, my first property, I had a checklist and insurance was on there, but I didn't pay close enough attention to what I needed to do to make sure I got that insurance binder, to make sure I set up with payments, to make sure that everything was done ahead of time. So closing was delayed, but I did get the binder. It came in more than I was expecting. But at that point, I was just happy to get the deal done. And instead of 4,000, it came out to 6,000 and some. But I was okay with that. I thought, I'll do it. Where do yeah. I sign? Send, right. me, send me the documents right now because I need this binder immediately. And then I'm calling all the different escrow and the other lender and the lender's broker and everything to get this all straightened out. So ultimately, it didn't hurt me, but it could have. And I'll not make that mistake again. Did you have any earnest money hard by that point? Yes, so that it, I put down 10%, so I had 11000 uh, hard money. Okay, if the seller could have said, eh, sorry about 1%. One percent. Yeah, 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 yeah. They could yeah, say, they could no, thank you. I'll take your 11000 and I'll go find someone. Or if you'd like, I'll take your 11000 and we can just restart this contract. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that would have been horrible. <laughs> and you probably would have done it though, right? You know, I probably would have. I'd have to sit down and evaluate yeah. it but if it was still a moneymaker. Because at that point, you've invested so much time and energy in it. It's like you're just dragging across the finish line and, and you just want to close the deal and anything that gets in the way and delays it, you're like, yes, what do I need to do to get that exemption out of the way or anything I can do? Absolutely. Well, I'm glad that the seller recognized that karma would have come back in a fury and would have recaptured that 11,000 and then some if they had pulled that on you. That's right. Yeah. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? My best advice ever would be for your best ever listeners who are doing the same thing I did, whether they're listening to podcasts or whether they're reading books or educating themselves, when they get started, again, I could do a lot of goal setting here, but I'm going to tell them when they get started, concentrate and find out what you do best. If you intend to be a buy and sell holder for, let's say, duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes, concentrate and be the best investor you can be in duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes. If you intend to buy notes, be the best note investor that you can be. If you intend to buy apartment buildings, learn all you can and be the best you can at that particular discipline. Same thing if you're looking for properties. Some people do direct mail. Some people drive for dollars. Some call brokers all the time. Whatever it is, find out the best way that you can get your goals met. Now, that doesn't mean that you can never change courses midstream, but I hear and have talked to a lot of people that seem to flit in and out. They try this for a little while, it doesn't work, and they reevaluate and they move on to something else. And then that doesn't quite work the way they wanted, and then they move on to something else. So my best advice is pick your strategy and go with it. 
I guarantee that there's someone out there that has made a successful living in real estate doing it the way that they were trying to do it. Emulate that person. Find out what it is that makes that strategy work. Now, again, if two years down the road, you're still beating your head against the wall and nothing's happening for you, maybe it's time to reevaluate then. Get a good mentor or someone that you trust or someone that can give you some advice. And maybe you change strategies. Maybe you look in a different direction. But don't come in and out trying a variety of different things. You won't get good at any one thing. So pick something that you're going to be good at and go after it. I'm smiling and I'm clapping. You can't hear it because it's kind of silent. I don't want the listeners to get annoyed. But I completely agree. I love that. I think it's a cultural thing just with the period of time in which we live because of the internet and social media. And we see so many different things that we can be exposed to if we choose to be exposed to. And when something gets a bit challenging, people who don't listen to this podcast, because I've recognized that the best ever listeners are uh, cut above the typical investor, but people who aren't achieving at a higher level they move on to something else. It's the shiny object syndrome. And instead, you just buckle up and focus on one thing and then do it. And I love what you said about if you don't see results after a certain period of time, then you reassess and you see how can I optimize the approach or perhaps do something differently. But it all starts with, as you said, identifying what you do best as it relates to that activity and then doing that. Yeah, there's something that's going to get you excited. So go with that shiny object. But make sure that you're doing all you can in order to retrieve it before moving on to the next one. I love it. You ready for the best ever lightning round? You bet. Let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Today's sponsor, Patch of Land, has got a document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. The Corporate Investor Podcast is geared towards successful corporate employees with high income jobs looking to create a second stream of income. You'll hear from successful real estate investors on the show as they describe how they got started investing while working their full-time corporate job. Listen and subscribe at thecorporateinvestor.com. That's thecorporateinvestor.com. Best ever book you've read? I love the 80-20 sales and marketing book by Perry Marshall. Yeah, uh, I thought that one. was so key. And as I look at my professional career, both in real estate, both in police work, in anything, I find that strategy so often. Let me move out of real estate just for a minute because this is really applicable in police work. As a lieutenant... Sometimes I get involved with sergeants and officers that are working and you do find that about 20% of them are doing 80% of the work. They're super hardworking. They love their job and they pursue it and they help people and then they arrest the bad guys and they write all the reports. And man, if you can make up a team of people of those 20%, wow, you're going to have a team of superstars. And if you take that strategy into real estate, what activities did I do that got me where I'm going? That 20%, focus on that, that gets you the biggest bang for the buck that get you the return. That's my best ever book. What's another mistake you've made on this 24 unit that you haven't talked about? I think probably my biggest mistake, I had 
a great inspector come out and take a look at the building. And we knew that there was a new roof on it. The roof was installed in 2016. Yet they pointed out, based on where the water comes, now it rains a lot in Washington, based on where the water comes off the roof, that there still could be some drainage issues. So I had a 10-day inspection clause. I can inspect the property for 10 days. Unfortunately, I didn't factor in that there was a couple weekends involved in that. And I think there was, if I remember right, there was Labor Day, I think, was involved in that. So to finally get a roofing inspector out, I actually pushed past the 10 days. So this is probably a big mistake, and I wouldn't normally advise it. Either one, write in your contract that you get more days to inspect it. So I thought 10 would be enough, and it wasn't enough. And then number two, make sure that you can line up the exact roofing contractor that you need. I called a couple roofing contractors and basically I had people show up with ladders and they're used to working on residential roofs, not a large two-story apartment building. So I would have liked to had a better answer as to why water runs off the roof in certain areas and not others. I know the roof is good, but the drainage isn't all that it needs to be. And I didn't have the right people in place for that. So Number two, get the right people. And number one, make sure that you have enough time in your contract to get that inspected. Best ever way you like to give back? I'm heavily involved in children's charities and activities, probably because I have three kids, 11, 13, and 15. So you're going to find me coaching football and soccer and baseball. But I also have a couple charities. I'm on the McKinley Foundation, which is a charity for deserving children that are underprivileged in the Puget Sound area. So we serve and we like to give back. It's a foundation, so we have an amount of money that we donate to local causes. And I'm also on the board at the Northwest Girls Choir, where my daughter sings. So I enjoy giving back to that organization and all it provides for our community and my daughter. How can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? My website is davidsweeney.com, and that's S-W-E-E-N-E-Y. And they can reach out and get in touch with me. I'd love to help them on any future real estate transactions that they want, particularly multifamily is my specialty in Western Washington. And at some point, I want to kind of model it after your website eventually when I get to where I'm going. So that's a good goal I have in mind. But anyway, davidsweeney.com. Very impressive with what you've done and a very short amount of time over the last nine to 12 months and where you're headed and the results that you've accomplished lessons learned from the insurance snafu to the due diligence story to then the rewards that are received as a result of the action taken and that is this apartment community that you have and that you're going to be using to leverage to scale into more and more deals so thank you for being on the show i hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon Thanks so much. I appreciate it. The Corporate Investor Podcast is geared towards successful corporate employees with high income jobs looking to create a second stream of income. You'll hear from successful real estate investors on the show as they describe how they got started investing while working their full-time corporate job. Listen and subscribe at thecorporateinvestor.com. That's thecorporateinvestor.com.